Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. All right, everybody. It's a milestone. What episode number is it, Angelica? Do you know? It is episode 200. All right. We are rocking. 200. I remember 100 actually wasn't felt like not even that long ago. Time is going too fast. I uh we're just talking before the recording. I'm I'm recovering from the <laughs> yeah. cross-border matchmaker. And it was a success. Thanks Angelica for your your help keeping things yeah. keeping things going. And Welcome. Yeah, so well, it's funny actually Wendy throws it on my waist, Wendy and she uh Helped a ton, and as soon as we're finished cross border matchmaker, we're already preparing cross border summit for. <laughs> we're, we're literally looking at venues. We're checking hotels and places now. Uh, the dates have been set, so it's already uh, it's already going to be April twentieth and twenty first. It's a Friday and a Saturday, so we're really excited for that one. And yeah, it's going to be a. Huge event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I talked to a lot of people that some people couldn't. We had oh, 350 people at the cross-border matchmaker in total between all the different ticket levels. And mm-hmm. some people couldn't make it. And they're saying, oh, I'll definitely come for the summit. So a lot of people returning from last year. And, you know, it'd be our third annual cross-border summit. So I'm really, really, really excited. We already got speakers lined up, sponsors lined up, uh, mm-hmm. attendees interested to come. So we're working hard on that. And then we have amazing members. We got more members signed up after this matchmaker. And you've been talking to some new potential members. So it's been great. Who's our member of the week that we're talking about? Uh, yes, for this week we have John Slemmer. Um, he's the founder of Red Star Consulting. So, um, we published that um last Wednesday, and then uh, for this coming um Wednesday, there will be another new member to be featured, and hopefully they get to check it out. Um, check uh, our member series. Yep, and we'll link it up on the show notes. So it's exciting. And I know you've been talking to some of our great members like David Heenberger. You had called him lately. So it's it's yes. great. Yeah. Um, and so episode 200, it's actually an interesting interview. This one you did. So you remember Dr. <laughs> Xiao Wang. Do you want to talk about the interview? Well, for Dr. Um, Xiao Wang, um, I was able to talk to her and I was able to really get a grasp on uh, regarding her business, the company and uh, what they do. So, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, we're talking about investments between China and uh, and, uh, in the U.S. So it's cross-border investments. It's actually a Mm -hmm. topic. We might actually add some more of this to our cross-border summit event too. Uh, yeah, cross, cr- of course we talk a lot about cross-border e-commerce on the show and cross-border business, but investments is a big one too. So, so, um, Angelica did a great job interviewing Dr. Xiao Wong. So let's tune in episode 200. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. 
It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Okay, so Dr. Xiao, would you like to tell something about yourself or introduce yourself first before I proceed with the, um, with the interview? Sure. My name is Xiao Wang. I am the co-founder and general manager of InnoSpring Silicon Valley. I'm also the general partner of InnoSpring Seed Fund that invests in early stage technology companies in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, mostly from a cross-border U.S.-China strategic angle. And we've been doing this for the last three years, and we've invested in about 50 companies. And, mm-hmm. and recently, we've expanded our operations in U.S., China, and Europe, now having six locations in China, one in U.S., and later we're setting it up in Europe as well. Okay. Okay, that's great. So with the beginnings of cross-border China and USA investment, so um, when would you say uh, the year would be that started this cross-border investment? I think uh, the cross-border from China to U.S. investment started right around the time when we started InnoSpring in late 2011, early 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other direction from U.S. to China started a long, long time ago. I think it's been a decade since U.S. venture capital fund mm-hmm. has started deploying capital in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I see. So it's really um, been a long time for this cross-border between China and um, USA investment. Yeah, long time, mm. long time for the U.S. investors to actually mm. leverage into the growth of Chinese internet industry for the last decade, and they've done a lot of, they've made a lot of money there. But the the other direction from China to U.S. that one was mm. really new, and we believe we're the pioneers that really uh, sort of strengthened and proven that that model works. And we're mm. in the forefront of it all the way since it started in 2012. Okay, okay. And is there any types or of cross-border investment? Like, are there? Would you say there are two types of cross-border investment? Yeah, two directions: uh-huh. okay. um, U.S. to China and China to U.S. In terms of specific uh, specific type, I think. Uh, in general, you could call a cross-border investment with different types, including um, direct investment into subsidiary in a different market or acquiring a majority share of companies in a different market or just a strategic investment into another companies in a different market. So there are also other nuances. You could be doing this as a majority shareholder or mm-hmm. joint venture. Okay. And um, U.S. investment into China, um, this is the more traditional route, if um, I'm not mistaken. Yes. With with companies investing into China to open up factories, joint ventures, or um, retail distribution, correct? Yeah. uh, And that has been quite popular. I think Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago, um, a lot of, um, almost all of the big Internet companies from technology companies from U.S. have tried uh, mm-hmm. coming into Asia, and uh, the most popular model um, I think ten years ago was trying to do this themselves independently. Uh, so the, you know most companies have tried it, and but 
almost never had the um, expansion um, or joint venture model um, into Asia from U.S. has ever worked, at least not worked in a large scale. So mm-hmm. a famous example of failure would be eBay uh, acquiring a local companies in China called Ichnet, um, competing with Alibaba. Obviously, mm-hmm. they failed. Google has tried to do this themselves by hiring a really talented local team and running localized product and operations also failed. Um, and, um, and Uber has tried mm-hmm. also an independent expansion. Um, they were sold to DB. Um, I don't think that was a failure. That was a very, I think a very much a success um, from mm-hmm. some level, but obviously independent operation hasn't really proven to work. Okay. Yeah. Um, speaking of U- Uber right now, Uber is really um, like popular in different um countries like here in in the philippines in manila like uber is really um unpopular so yeah it is but uh recently there's a lot of um turmoil happening at Mm. the management level but anyhow their expansion to china was really bold and it's they opened a new era of next generation u.s companies actually um daring to go to china and give it a try again um, even though their pioneers has failed for years, and I, I would totally give them credit for that. Um, they've mm. proven that that works a lot. That, that they made about seven billion in shares just by owning DD shares. Mm-hmm. It was incredible with, within short three years of time. Okay, okay. So, um, are there any popular or helpful example of this for this kind of investment aside from um, Uber and Google and from US to China? Mm. Yes, U.S. investment into China. Yeah, um, so yeah, it was very successful. I think the um, the U.S. venture capitalists have started to either spin off and starting Chinese branches um, like Kleiner Perkins or Sequoia. They all started with establishing their Chinese branches, mm-hmm. or U.S. LPs like NEA who didn't go to China alone, but instead backing Chinese fund that. Uh, started by um, you know successful founders like Northern mm-hmm. Light that was started by Feng Deng and they were initially backed at least primarily by um, NEA for their first fund and they all sort of these these are funds who all sort of started in the 2003-2005 time frame um, and this was definitely 10-12 years ago and most of these companies who started at that time were wildly mm-hmm. successful. They made so much money, and uh, it was really successful. And if you look at all of the internet giant, internet 1.0 companies, they were really biggest one out of China. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Alibaba, Tencent, Sohu, Sina, all of them have no mm-hmm. exceptions, were initially backed by um, investors that comes from the U.S., come from the West. Mm-hmm. And the reason being that and the, there's no localized venture capital industry at the time. So um, they, they couldn't find local investors. And uh, the uh, investors from U.S. have seen an opportunity of China growing really fast. And they've, they've done it at the time, and they've proven to be really successful. Okay. Okay. And going to China investments into USA. So this is a newer one, um, which I believe is your um, specialty with companies um, looking to diversify outside of their mainland China investment into America. This would be um, strategic investments or more purely for return on capital? Um, I think at this point, it's still mostly strategic because for all of these investors who started doing this, um, ourselves included, um, China is our home market, much, much more familiar. The reason of doing this is just to 
uh, really uh, leverage this evolution of our investment strategy from opportunistic driven to value driven. And over time, we see that U.S. is still in the lead for a, a lot of original um, technological innovations and um, having ability to actually capitalize that. We think the market evolution and integration between the East and West is going to happen really soon. So strategic placement of investment in the U.S., it seems to be a really good idea. Um, now, uh, after a few years, uh, we've mm. been in operation. It's proven to be very valuable for both sides, for both of the investors and mm. the founders who accept investment from these investors. Okay. And um, some investment stories of Chinese coming to America, um, is it the Silicon Valley specifically? I mean, Silicon mm. Valley is definitely one of the most popular um destination and center of all of that activities mm. going um, but it's not definitely not the only place um, mm. that uh, investment initiative is happening so uh, there's a lot of recent stories of um, companies getting funding from um, Florida mm. uh, Los Angeles is very a good place because there's a lot of gaming studios there and there was wave of investment from Chinese gaming uh, gaming companies I think from a few years ago and they've mostly gone into Los Los Angeles area. And recently, Seattle has been really popular um, because of um, some companies actually founders leaving um, Microsoft and Amazon. Um, recently, I think Baidu has done an investment in Seattle. Um, Tencent has done one as well. So not, certainly not just Silicon Valley. Okay. And um, going to the next question, um, what are some strategies for um, Americans, or what do you see as obstacles we're facing now to increase these um, cross-border investment transactions? <laughs> I think right now everyone knows that the number one factor would be turbulence of regulatory inter interference, mm -hmm. <laughs> mostly from the U.S. and from China. Um, I think um, it's hard to say if the political environment will be stable um, over time, but um, we're running a business. If we just mm -hmm. look at it from a business standpoint, um, China is undoubtedly uh, one of the, the largest market in the world, and it's just it's growing, and it's uh, the fact that it's been closed for so long. It's very unique, and the fact that navigating it really tough uh, is really hard, and, and that's been proven by a lot of failure from a bigger companies' perspective. And since globalization is happening, and when we talk about this wave of mobile innovation and perhaps next wave of decentralized internet, they all try to open up and decentralize the control of internet and trying to get people closer and closer. So globalization is going to happen with or without us, with or without fear in the space, mm. or with or without support. Um, I think it's something that we all face, and, and the best strategy is to embrace it. Because otherwise, you're missing out of the opportunity. I agree. I agree with that. And um, once you get an investment, um, what are some strategies to keep Chinese investors happy? I mean, how uh, how in, involved do they normally get in the daily activity and management of the business? Um, <laughs> that question really varies. And I think different investors certainly have different styles. Um, and that's very similar everywhere. I mean, different Silicon Valley investors might want to participate in their portfolio company management different. One way or another, I think one clear um, learning that I've observed from working with a lot of investors from China is they're actually very practical. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the collective 
um, knowledge from their learnings in in the fast growing market like China was certainly valuable, and their expectation of um, anything, perhaps their expectation on themselves and founders that they work with is really rapid growth. And some founders might be um, a little bit sort of. Um, not really sweat. Some founder might find that stressful expectation. Um, so, but the practice, practical side of it around growth, around hiring, around monetization, sometimes for mm. me is refreshing. And um, oftentimes, I see Chinese companies work just as hard. So, mm. if if you were to compete in in a global stage, you expect to have. Um, you know, gross ep- expectations. I think most investors would have some expectations one way or another. I don't see any difference of managing a Chinese mm-hmm. investor versus um, a local investor in the U.S. Um, but on the other side, um, I think figuring out what founders really want in terms of engaging a Chinese investor is, is really important because if the founders strategically place China as a good market that they want to seriously consider, um, I'm sure there's work to be done with the investor. And I think mm-hmm. that side is very important. Yes. And what are some of the uh, positives of American firms taking Chinese investor capital? I think it's just, uh, there's a lot of positives because mm-hmm. that's one of the questions I get a lot from founders actually perhaps come up at every meetings. So you, you you essentially open up the gateway to another half of the planet, really. And it's not something you would, the stuff that you would learn or you wouldn't learn becomes totally hidden if you don't actually open that gateway. It, it's seriously, there's a lot of things. Frankly, Chinese companies now, local companies from China are really, really competitive. They're really, really mm. good. And they're not only growing in China, they totally cracked China's market. And they're actually fastly, rapidly expanding into developing economies like Southeast Asia, like South mm-hmm. America, Africa. There's a lot of learnings that they grew in the last 10 years, and they really learned hard lessons. And some of that aren't really apparent in the U.S. Um, and a lot of American companies don't really see this, I think. But Mm-hmm. Really soon, really soon, any companies that comes out from the U.S., you would soon, if you're successful, you would soon find that your biggest competitor is not mm-hmm. from your home country. It's going to come from nowhere in China. And unfortunately, you don't know anything about them, about why they started, about why they were able to grow. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know this, you wouldn't you wouldn't be prepared to actually try to compete or try to learn from them. It, it's very obvious. Uh, for example... Uh, mm-hmm. Chinese companies have gotten so great with monetization in mobile and gaming. I think the entire world, including big companies like Facebook and Snapchat, their entire recent strategies around chat-based economy is totally borrowed from China. And it's too late for them because they could have known this probably four years ago when WeChat started. They were years late uh, thinking in that same direction. Mm-hmm. and. When DJI was really competing, so DJI has, uh, I think, shut down, shut the doors, uh, with, mm. had co- sort of beaten a lot of competitors in the U.S., and most of them don't really see them coming. I think in, in the earlier stage within the area robotics and drone space, and they don't really take them too seriously until till the end they become mm. so powerful. It's it, it would be a shame if you don't try to know that to start really early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yes, and so to complement the positives, uh, positives. What are some of the potential setbacks of having Chinese investment capital for for the company or for a company? Um, I think it's just uh, you have to have. Then you need to actually manage and make friends or establish trust with somebody who might start with culture gap with you. <laughs> it always it's like it's like starting a relationship with somebody mm-hmm. that you don't really truly know to start with and take some time. It always just effort um, that you put in and there perhaps with the people that you find out that you end up to have a really good relationship and bond mm-hmm. with. And mm-hmm. there will be people that essentially disappear because you don't get to work together. And there's not their fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just natural mm-hmm. evolution of business. So it obviously takes some effort there. I think that's always um, sort of the flip side and opposite side of things. Um, but the other thing I see a lot is that people have unrealistic expectations of money coming from China. For no reason, because of lack of understanding, they ultimately sort of, optim- sort of uh, automatically thinking the money would be easy. And that's mm-hmm. all need to stop. Because until they understand um, across all of the initial probable barriers of culture differences and language differences, most investors from China are incredibly sophisticated. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think... Uh, coming, starting off as a good start of having really good mutual understanding and communication is really important, which is why we uh, sort of advocate really strong mm-hmm. ties with somebody local that you would be able to trust who help you to figure out how that works. Um, this is why the entirely reason why we try so hard in the last few years establishing a team in the Valley, really just mm-hmm. trying to break down that barrier and make that transition and that collaboration much, much more smoothly. Yes, I agree. It really starts with, um, you know, great relationship. You should build um, your relationship, not just, you know, to, to like, in business, when you meet people, it's not just you, you, you sell out your business, right? You, you need to build the relationship and you need the, the relationship going so that you will have that, um, great bond with other um, businesses or business partners that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm um, going to the next question. Um, uh, what stages of your business is best for cross-border investment, like your fund, Inner Spring, or works at the seed level? Um, is this a good level you recommend to have cross-border investment activity? Um, I think a good level is don't really delay it. Wait for the next level <laughs> to start this okay. as early as possible. That would be mm-hmm. strong recommendation. I mean, starting at starting at seed um, is what we choose to start with, and there there's a reason for that. Um, seed stage investment, accepting somebody as a seed stage investor, who you know you just met and just wanted to enter into that collaboration, is the least amount of cost. You get to know someone. Mm-hmm. Because at seed stage, you're working with a lot of investors anyways, and they don't really take board seed. Their ownership of the company is small. It gives you, you know, opportunity to understand each other casually mm-hmm. and slowly build up that trust over time um, because it doesn't come within one day. Um, and granted, if you want to take growth stage investing, that's what a lot of companies decide to take. Mm-hmm. Some of them work out, some of them don't because you're talking about probably millions and tens of millions of commitment from both ends. Um, obviously you could do that, but I just think it's always a a better option to start with something that's less of a cost for you, opportunity of cost. So, I mean, it's, people have different 
opinions there. I, I really mm. think starting early is a good way to go. Okay, and um, is starting earlier with a relationship with a Chinese investor um, better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and um, like, can you raise money from Chinese at the later stage as well? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of late-stage money around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if a company is doing really well, there's a lot of investors that we work with for a long time um, willing to actually be really um, more risk-taking in terms mm-hmm. of evaluating technology-savvy companies that represent future. Um, they actually can write a bigger check. So, I mean, the, the, the manager of building this whole ecosystem that we are part of is a lot of people want to support cross-border investment. And there are a lot of players in the space, which gives a lot of mm-hmm. founders options. And it's a very good direction I see. It. This is in terms of the space evolving. Okay. And do you um, like um, want to add something or anything aside from that? or? Um, no, I think you've asked most mm-hmm. things, I think, relevant to this um, subject. Um, the other thing I want to see is if you have a chance to go to China, I would try to... Mm-hmm try to go there some things that you won't understand until you're there um it's always a good idea to just uh, travel there if that's something that is really important market for you um i mean being open-minded sometimes you can't really evaluate um the benefit of it um mm. so the so i i find a lot of founders willing to be open-minded willing to be collaborative might not really benefit immediately but over mm-hmm. time they understand enough so they were able to become better founders better ceos um so i i, I think this is really something refreshing to me also give me meaning in terms of my job so yeah <laughs> and um yeah thank you thank you very much for sharing all of this so um that's all the questions that i have for you today so um can you share how can um people uh, best connect with you and your company Oh, I'm very visible. Um, you can just go to LinkedIn and find me and send me a note. Mm-hmm. Or the easiest way is go on our website, www.innospring.com. If you're in the U.S., you want to see an English site, you could go to innospringus.com. It's really easy, and there's um, um, a way in there you can contact me. Okay. Great. So, yeah, Dr. Xiao, thank you very much for uh, your time and for sharing this. Thank you. And um, if you have any other um, questions, um, you know where to email us. And yeah, thank you for your time. No, no problem. Thanks, Angelica. All right. Thank you, Angelica, for handling that interview with Dr. Xiao Wong. Hope you guys enjoyed. That was a first show. I wasn't the host what do you think you miss me uh just trying to grow the business and grow the team and i think angelica has been doing great great work so i'd love to hear everybody's feedback on on the show and the future of global from asia we're at 200 shows now we keep pushing forward pushing harder growing the show growing guests growing the team growing everything and i'm happy to have you guys here for the ride i Want to do another 100 shows? Said that on episode 100. So, thank you again for listening. And we also have the e commerce gladiator series. So, actually, it's way over 200 plus. There's other podcasts I'm doing. And I like sharing and, and connecting with you guys and hearing from people that enjoy the show. So, if you have any questions, send me a note, Mike at globalfromasia.com. And that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.
To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.